Welcome to Psych Talk. I am your host, Jessica Lee, a licensed clinical psychologist and self-growth coach for women in helping professions. It is my mission to motivate, inspire, and educate you on everything psychology and self-growth. Whether you are a mental health professional or student in the social science field, are interested in psychology and mindset shifts, or are just interested in gaining skills and knowledge to grow into the best version of yourself, this podcast is for you. My hope is to provide you with knowledge and skills that you can implement in your daily life that add up to make a big impact. So let's dive into today's episode. Hey everyone, welcome back to Psych Talk. I am so excited for you to join me for today's episode. I have a very special guest, Stephanie Straub. She is a licensed clinical social work in the state of New York. So thank you, Stephanie. Thanks for having me. So do you mind um, introducing a little bit about yourself, your background, and what you do? Sure. So uh, like you said, I'm a clinical social worker in New York State. I own a small group practice. I have two, almost about to be three uh, clinicians who also work for my practice called CNY Therapy Solutions in Syracuse, New York. Um, I'm married. I have two little girls that keep me busy. Um, My background uh, professionally is I, I got an undergrad in psych and then went straight through, got my master's um, in social work. And I've done therapy and foster care, case management, and school social work. Um, But I've been back in doing private practice for the last six years. Awesome. Awesome. So Stephanie and I actually met on TikTok, (laughs) which, you know, used to be this teenager's app, but, you know, us adults have taken over and we've um, connected through a mental health community on there, which has been great. And she shares so much um, valuable information on TikTok. So I just had to have her on here. So um, going off of that, can you share with everybody some of your clinical interests? So um, my specialty area is in treating um, the mental and emotional health uh, surrounding childbearing. Um, so my role is supporting women who are trying to get pregnant, maybe you've experienced kind of miscarriage, loss, and fertility issues. Um, during their pregnancy who might be experiencing anxiety or depression, and then uh, the postpartum period uh, and beyond. That's my, that's, uh, my ideal client. Those are the folks that I like working with. Oh, and that's awesome. And um, I mean, as somebody, and this is actually going to be the first time I'm saying this on my podcast, as somebody that's currently pregnant, um, I know that I've reached out to you just in general about like being <laughs> pregnant during a pandemic. Um, and I know that you know, moms need, whether it's trying to become a mom, like you said, conceiving or pregnant or postpartum, need a lot of extra support. And so I'm sure having somebody that has that specialty interest is super, super helpful for your clients. Yeah, I'm really protective. Not that I, that, not that I don't think that a, a therapist who doesn't have specialized training in this area couldn't be incredibly helpful and supportive, but there's certain nuances to it that I think having specialized training really makes a difference in, uh, in providing the support they, they need and they require. So. Yeah, definitely. 
So going off of that, can you talk a little bit more about maternal mental health and um, maybe more specifically perinatal mood and anxiety disorders, kind of what they are, some symptoms, et cetera? The floor is yours. Okay. All right. I'm just going to talk for the next 45 minutes straight about this. Okay. Okay. <laughs> you, you gave me the floor. I'm going to take it. So, th- so there's what like the, like the DSM says about you know, postpartum depression or whatever. And then there's what we who are doing the work and in the trenches are actually seeing. And so I'm going to speak to that part of it. Um, So perinatal mood and anxiety disorders, which are called PMADS for short. So moving forward, if that's the term I use, you'll know what I'm talking about. Uh, It includes that's anything uh, during pregnancy and up to one year after delivery. That's considered the perinatal period. And so that includes what most of us are familiar with postpartum depression. We've heard that term. Um, but there's also postpartum anxiety, um, which in my practice, I actually see more anxiety than I see just straight depression. Although depression will often kind of tag along with that anxiety. Um, OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder, bipolar, postpartum, um, um, post-traumatic stress disorder, um, and psychosis, which is incredibly rare, um, very, very, very rare, but those are all considered uh, the, the PMADs, those uh, perinatal mood and anxiety disorders. This is the number one complication associated with childbearing, which I didn't know until I got specially specialized training in it to think like, this is the thing that will be the number one complication that women experience around their childbearing. I didn't know that till right now. So yeah, <laughs> thank yeah. you. Right. It, but yeah. doesn't that just make you pause for a second? Like that's crazy. Yeah. Well, yeah. Cause you hear, I mean, all about like the physical complications mm-hmm. or yeah. the things beforehand, like to look out for, you know, um, diabetes and pregnancy or, you know, preeclampsia, um, and things like that. But I mean, I think that goes to kind of, I think mental health is being talked about more but we're not talking about it enough if that's the number one complication of pregnancy. Yeah, well, so what we know um, is that about one in five women will experience a PMED, um, which is a lot. And those are the numbers that are reported. And there's a lot of stigma around maternal mental health issues because if I can hop on a feminist soapbox for a second, there's a lot of pressure put on women to be a certain way, to, to um, love every second of motherhood, um, to work like you don't have kids and raise your kids like you don't have to work if you choose to work outside the home um, or inside the home <laughs> in the middle of a pandemic. <laughs> we'll forever be in the home. <laughs> well, right, 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 right. Um, but we're talking about 20% of women that we know of, and there's probably many more who we don't because of that stigma, because they're afraid to speak up for fear of judgment. Yeah, it's kind of sad. Oh, no, it definitely is. And I mean, I'm not a mom yet, but um, with my friends who have had kids, I know one of the things that I've talked to them about is just like feeling alone and isolated or like, oh, I'm not good enough because you know, you're supposed to bond with your baby right away and you're supposed to be able to breastfeed with no problem. And like, you're supposed to, like you said, enjoy every single minute of your baby smiling and it's okay if they cry because you're just going to be there to console them and it's not going to stress you out at all. Like, no. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. 
And so let's just dispel the myth that you're going to bond with your baby right away, right now. Let's just get that out there, right? Because for some it is, I mean, right? But for many, it's not. And then you, like your first moments of motherhood where you don't feel that immediate, like love pouring out and then, and right out of the, the gate, you're feeling like, oh my gosh, what's wrong with me? So I just want to say that for the record, anybody listening, if it didn't happen for you, or if you're expecting it, it doesn't happen for you. That's very, very, very common. And you're not alone and it's okay. And that will come over time. No, Sorry. and I'm just no, no. throw that out there. <laughs> you don't have to apologize. Things like that are so important to mm. know and hear. Cause like you can read everything in the world. <laughs> on like what is supposed to happen or like, I mean, I'm reading what to expect when expecting, which I know is like, you know, the book and stuff, but every human is unique and individual and everything. So, um, so I know you listed a number of things, but one thing you said was like, um, you see a lot of um, anxiety specifically. Um, Do you mind specifically talking about kind of what are the um, symptoms of anxiety, whether it's during pregnancy or thereafter that maybe mom should be looking out for that aren't typical mom anxiety because I know I'm having a lot of mom anxiety and my child isn't even here yet. So so the first thing that maybe I'll do is kind of differentiate between kind of like what's considered common or normal and what's not. And unfortunately, like um, moms who um, are really struggling with what I would call as a therapist, clinical levels of anxiety will go in and talk to maybe their their OB or whatever and say, like, I'm really worried. And they'll kind of be like, like, well, that's normal. But, But how as a therapist, I differentiate between like worry and anxiety is that disruption and functioning. You know, so things like, you know, it's, I, it's impacting my appetite, it's impacting my sleep, it's impacting my thought content, like I can't, I, my physical body is affected, like I'm feeling nervous and keyed up and my, my thoughts are constantly churning in my head. Um, you know, I, I can't fall asleep. So that whole like sleep when the baby sleeps. So baby snoozing away in the bassinet at three in the morning and you cannot turn your brain off thinking about all the ways in which that baby could potentially be harmed, right? And um, and all the things that you did wrong or whatever. Um, it might be like feelings of like difficulty, the physical sensations of like feeling heaviness in the chest or shortness of breath, heart palpitations, stomach upset, like those are physical symptoms. Um, but really what I see with moms the most is the rabbit hole of like, what if this happens? What if that happens? What if this happens? What if that happens? And some of this with anxiety, like we are all still cave people. So, um, like, so, and what I mean by that is somebody who thinking like from an evolutionary perspective, like, like we are wired to ensure the survival of our species. That's pretty much it, right? Like, so ourselves and our offspring, that is what like kind of the reptilian part of our brain is all about. And so anxiety actually serves as a function because you're constantly kind of like on the lookout for potential dangers to to safeguard yourself and your offspring against them. Except for the fact that like, we're not fighting off saber-toothed tigers, you know? (laughs) Like, like, you know, we're just trying to like go to the grocery store or whatever, but you're, for some people, like that, like is on over, that adaptive function of anxiety is on overdrive. And and we see a lot of that in new moms and new parents. I don't want to, I also want to acknowledge like this shows up for dads too. This shows up for dads too. Um, 
but yeah, so that's kind of what that, um, that anxiety looks like. For some people, it also includes like, uh, episodes of, of panic, which is like excessive physical symptomology where people feel like, oh, like, like they're dying. It's so severe. They think they're having a heart attack. Um, and really it's, it's, it's their anxiety just taken over. Yeah. So that's what that looks like for moms. Well, no, and I appreciate you saying like the clinical functioning and disruption in daily life. Cause I think, you know, like you said, I talk about anxiety being adaptive to my patients all the time. Like, yeah, I work with teens. So yeah, it's normal to get nervous before a test. If you care about your grade, like it's going to motivate you to work harder. It's normal to feel anxious about something happening to your child because you're protecting it. But like, I like how you said the rabbit hole thing. Like if all you're thinking about is every possible thing that could ever happen and you're not sleeping, you're not eating, you're not doing those things. Um, obviously that's not only disrupting your functioning, but probably is affecting your ability to then care for your child the way you want to care for them because- yeah you can't care for yourself. Yeah. And so if I can interject something here, that is also something that we never ever talk about with moms is the concept of scary thoughts. Okay. I don't know how familiar you are with this. Okay, here we Teach go. Me. I, I so, just yes. realized I shook my head and nobody can. <laughs> I said no, my head shakes. So t- tell me about this. Okay. So, um, so most parents, not even just moms, but most parents will experience um, this phenomenon around scary thoughts. And what that is, is um, you're just kind of like walking through your life here with your kid and you may experience a very intrusive, sometimes very scary and even graphic or gruesome thought about something horrific happening to you, your partner, your child, your baby, right? It can be um, and I just like a little bit of a trigger warning here, just like if I use an example. So for me personally, one of my scary thoughts was, uh, my daughter, my oldest who liked to, would respond to, to being taken outside to help her settle down. I would, and this was not even like in response to, oh, she's crying so much and I'm frustrated. It would, I would get an image in my mind of dropping her on the driveway and like, and what that looked like, and like, like it was real, and it was really jarring. Now, luckily for me, I was kind of like, wow, that's kind of screwed up, and could kind of like shake it and move on. And then what I would do would, I wouldn't cross the driveway when I had her, because I had that thought, and I didn't like that thought, and so I just would make sure I wouldn't cross the driveway with her for a while. Um, but for some people, it, it can create an incredible amount of distress because they think, what kind of monster am I that I would have an image in my mind of dropping my baby on the driveway or throwing up against the wall or even um, sometimes they're sexual in nature. Like it, it's like, right. And it's super bizarre, but it, it is incredibly common. Like in the 90% area of like parents will experience this phenomenon. Um, but nobody's talking about it because people are terrified to say, I, I had an image in my mind of dropping my baby on the driveway. They're afraid they're going to go get carted away. Right. 
But I can tell you as a therapist that the fact that that freaks you out is actually a very good thing because I know you're going to safeguard against doing that like I did. So what do people do? You're at, you know, they do the thing to ensure that that doesn't happen. And again, that's that adaptive functioning of anxiety on overdrive. But it's really, it's really, really scary if you don't know that that can happen. So I just had to throw that in there when we're talking about anxiety because people don't talk about it. No, I mean, I've literally never heard of that. Mm -hmm. And when you were talking, I was trying to think like my friends that recently have had babies and things like that, like that's not what the Mm -hmm. things that they'll share. Like even the ones that I'm really close with and will share some of the struggles, it's very like, oh, I feel isolated or overwhelmed or like body image issues. So um, I'm sure any moms listening, because you said about 90-ish percent just heard that and are like, oh my gosh. Like when I had that thought about my child, even if it was 10 years ago, because I'm sure Mm -hmm. it sticks in their memory. Sure. Okay, I'm not crazy or whatever label we put. Yeah. On ourselves. Yeah. yeah. So, so um, there's a great book called Good Moms Have Scary Thoughts. And it's all around by Karen Kleiman, who is an expert in this field. And she's wonderful. And I've been blessed to have ex- gone through training with her and um, an ongoing consultation with her. But she's written this wonderful book that has now become my um, go to baby shower gift um, for any new uh, expecting mom. But um, Good Moms Have Scary Thoughts. And it's a really accessible resource for moms around this issues and all the other issues that come up, you know, in new parenthood. The, you know, how are you? How's baby? Fine. But really, you're just like screaming on the inside. You're like, I'm not fine. I haven't showered in three days. Right? Um, it's, it's a great book. So a little shout out there. No, and I resource. will... I, I wrote it down. So um, in the show notes, I can, I'll, I'm assuming I can like find it on Amazon and just link it. Oh, absolutely. Okay. Yep. So yes. I'll put that in the um, Please do. It's so notes. great. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's so great. Yeah. So I know that um, you mentioned like a lot of different um, perinatal mood and anxiety disorders. We talked about anxiety. Are there any other ones you wanted to talk about more in depth or? Um, so, so uh, postpartum depression, it looks like depression. Like, so that one, I don't think we have to go too, too far down into, um, OCD is something that comes up. So this is where we might have an intrusive thought about something happening, um, to the baby, but then we engage in some sort of mental or physical compulsion or behavior in order to ensure like that that thing doesn't have, or, you know, to try to protect or safeguard against that. And this, but it doesn't make sense. You know, it doesn't make sense. So whereas like you might have a, a scary thought about something happening to your baby, that's kind of just anxiety based, but then you just, then you adjust. This is like, um, if I check three times, then I can, t- you know, they, they don't necessarily make sense. Or if I say this certain prayer in my head, then th- that means I'm protected, those types of things. I think something that often doesn't get talked about is um, post-traumatic stress disorder around birth trauma. And so I, if I'm going to highlight another one, I would talk about that. And, and I think um, be- people are having babies every day. Um, and it's a very common occurrence, um, but it can be incredibly traumatic. Even a good, quote unquote, good birth 
um, can still be pretty traumatic. And I think that it's disenfranchised trauma. It's not really recognized as trauma because at the end, well, as long as baby's healthy, that's all that matters. But that really minimizes what the experience might have been like for mom. So that includes things like um, hemorrhaging, C-sections, premature birth, having a baby in the NICU, having forcep or vacuum extraction, um, uh, preeclampsia, tearing, um, all those things and more, again, can be considered trauma, but especially for medical professionals who kind of see and engage in these things all day, every day, it's kind of like, well, yep, but, but baby's fine. Um, and for moms, it, it, they can really carry that with them and it can impact like their follow-up. They might, they might not be able to go, like they might not go to their six week checkup, you know, which is, that's all we get in the U S is that six week checkup. So like if, if there's the numbers are hover around 40% of women don't go to their, their six week postpartum visit. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Wow. Yeah. So, and for some of them, it's because like, it's too triggering to go see that provider again, or to go be in a medical facility again, because of all that it brings up, how awful that experience was. So, um, so again, I think that that's something that that was the number one speak throwback to our TikTok. Um, that was my most popular post was when I posted something on birth trauma. And I'm the, I got hundreds of comments of people sharing their experiences um, and how it still impacts them 10 years later. Yeah. No. So, and I think that's so important to talk about because one thing when you were talking that I was thinking about, you know, so many people and people in my personal life have said this like to me, like, you know, birth is painful. Like we all, we are all aware of that, but people will be like, but after it's over and you have the baby in your arms, you just forget about it. And like, that has to be so like invalidating to the individuals who experience, whether it's a quote unquote good birth, like you said, or some type of um, complication around birth. It's like, okay, all these moms are telling me like, oh, once I have my baby in my arms, it's going to be fine. But you mentioned the NICU. I mean, we, I work in a children's hospital and during COVID, you know, babies are still being born and we've had like a surge of NICU babies to the point that they didn't all even fit in our NICU and had to go, some had to go on the floor. And like, those moms don't get to necessarily hold the babies in their arms and things like that. And so that can be traumatic that, you know, I just birthed this baby that I carried for however many months. And now I don't even get to hold the child. My child's in the NICU. Maybe I had all these other complications, but people are just going to tell me, I'm just going to forget about it and feel great. highlight this because um, pregnancy and birth in the middle of a pandemic looks very different. Yes, it does. (laughs) And so um, that can also be traumatizing. You know, mom's going to their anatomy scans without their partners. Um, It's, that's hard. That's hard. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I always, oh, you can well, I was just going to say, or delivering, you know, without their entire support team present, you know, maybe their partner can be there, but maybe they wanted to have a doula or maybe they wanted their mom in the room or, you know, 
and yeah, that can be part of it too. And so there's like a special kind of trauma, I think that's associated with uh, pregnancy and postpartum in the midst of what we're dealing with right now. So I just want to acknowledge that because it's not easy at all. No. And um, I mean, just obviously some self-disclosure, which, you know, because I reached out to Stephanie. So the way my hospital system worked, my husband was going to be allowed to come to the anatomy scan. And I got a phone call last or earlier this week said that that's no longer policy um, and he can't. And I always like try it because I'm a psychologist. I try to reframe that. I am lucky in the sense that this is my first child. So I have never experienced pregnancy outside of a pandemic. So I don't know what it's like to have my partner come to appointments with me and things like that. But, and that's just me kind of reframing and trying to obviously protect myself. I I allow myself to feel the emotions. I've cried plenty over it, but I also imagine like if this is your second child and maybe your partner was super involved in every single appointment and things like that, or the things that I fear, I was talking to one of the nurses I work with um, the other day who does a lot of um, maternal fetal medicine stuff for the hospital. Like if you know something is wrong with your baby and you have to go to those appointments by yourself is like so far, for all we know, everything is going fine with my pregnancy babies on target, like no, no concerns. So like that provides me some comfort, but like, I cannot imagine knowing my baby has a genetic disorder or something like that and still having to go to those appointments by yourself. And they're like, oh, well, you know, partners can FaceTime in or be on the phone, but it's not the same. same. No, it's not the same. And so what we're talking about here is grief. Right. Cause even though you don't have another experience, sorry, I'm just going to do therapy with you for a moment. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Even, <laughs> this is a freebie, but even though you don't have that experience to compare to, like my guess would be that for a new mom, like it's, you've envisioned how it was going to be before you even were maybe trying to get pregnant or found out you were pregnant. So that part you've lost. And so there's grief associated with that. So even though you haven't been through it before, you know, there's still loss there. There's still loss there because it was the idea or the vision of how it was going to be. And that's no longer. Oh yeah, no, definitely. So thanks for the free. There There you go. go. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I guess kind of, because we've covered a lot of stuff already. (laughs) So if somebody believes, you know, their experience of perinatal mood or anxiety disorder, you know, whether they are currently pregnant or in the postpartum stage, like what steps do you recommend for like getting treatment or how they could potentially find somebody that specializes like you do? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so what I would say, first of all, I just want to, um, take two seconds to differentiate between the baby blues and what could potentially be that um, a perinatal mood and anxiety disorder. So most new moms will experience some sort of kind of like emotional, um, uh, what do I want to call it? shift in those first couple weeks after, um, after delivering. And, but it's usually transient. Like you might be a little teary, um, on and off, um, maybe a little short or grouchy. Um, you know, that's has to do with like the hormonal shift and the lack of sleep and, and like your body's starting the healing process and all that stuff. And that's very common and very typical. 
what we're looking for, if you're like, I just, I think there's something more here. Um, it's if you're feeling that way, like most of the day, most days, you know, whereas baby blues, you're going to have moments of like happiness where with, with a perinatal mood and anxiety disorder, most of the time you're feeling really cruddy. And what I keep hearing moms say is I just, I just didn't feel like myself. I just didn't feel like myself. And that was a big clue. So even if you're feeling that way in those first two, three weeks, trust that you're the expert on you. And so, um, but, but again, as a clinician, we're looking at usually the two week point and beyond if you're still really struggling to that, like, okay, let's look at this a little bit, uh, a little more closely. First line of defense is usually the OB or midwife. But again, a lot of, of times I get clients come in and they say, well, you just need more sleep. Just get more sleep um, or go take a walk, have a glass of wine. Now, now I'm throwing all these OBs under the bus for like, here's a prescription for Ambien. I mean, just like, Wah! like, okay, or we can actually dig in and find out what's going on. But that's just, sorry, <laughs> I can't help myself. <laughs> you don't need to apologize. So, um, so that's usually the first line. Of and for every story I hear about that, I should say, I hear 10 where the OB or a midwife was responsive. But again, I just want to remind moms, like you're the expert on you. If you get a feedback like that and you're just like, I don't know, I still don't feel okay. Like go talk to somebody else, somebody different. Um, so and don't wait till your six week check. The sooner we catch this and, and provide an intervention, the better your and quicker your recovery will be. Um, most of the time you'll get, if you reach out to your OB and they say, yeah, they're gonna probably wanna start you uh, looking at uh, medication as an intervention, because that's what doctors do. And it's incredibly helpful. Zoloft is usually the first thing that they'll prescribe and it's, and it's safe for, uh, breastfeeding moms. So that's usually what they'll respond with. But I'm biased. I also think a combination of medication or and therapy, uh, it, the therapy piece is really important as well. So finding a therapist, you can, there's a couple different places you can go to find one that specializes in maternal mental health. One is postpartumstress.com. That is the website for Karen Kleiman, um, Karen Kleiman's, all of her stuff, her, her practice and her trainings and her resource, books and resources, um, but also to find a therapist who has been trained by her. Um, and there's like a get help tab that you go and you can look up by state. And then postpartum.net is um, the website for Postpartum Support International. And they have a, a warm line that you can call if you're really struggling, you want to talk to somebody. It's not like you call and somebody picks up right away, but somebody will return your call in 24 hours and they will talk to you and they will get you connected with some resources in your area. Um, but they also have a directory by state to look up. Uh, so again, that's postpartum.net. Awesome. And, and I will put, therapist. Yeah. I'll put those in the show notes as well. Awesome. Um, yeah, no. So Awesome. And I, I really like the fact that you highlighted, like, if you're noticing this, say at two weeks, three weeks, don't wait till your six week mm -mm. appointment, because like you already highlighted in the United States, we get a six week postpartum checkup and that's it. But that I'm sure could be a whole nother conversation that we won't. Oh my gosh, this should be a series. <laughs> we should just do like a series because there's so much to talk about here. Yeah. Um, but yeah. And knowing that, you know, 
it's okay to reach out for help. And yeah, like, and yes, like you, I am biased, but the research already also shows that the combination of medication and therapy is the most effective for Mm -hmm. mental health. So, um, well, so speaking of kind of going off of, you know, difference between baby blues and maybe something more clinical, and you've already really touched on through conversation, like, you know, not all moms are going to, or dads, as you've highlighted, are going to experience like a clinical level of anxiety and depression. But there is going to be some mood shifts, adjustments, things like that. Um, So can you speak a little bit to like how you would recommend moms manage those non-clinical, so to speak, level types of emotions and changes that they're going through? Yeah, I think it's really important. So a lot of times we focus on like the pregnancy and the labor and the delivery, and then we kind of like forget about what happens after. Um, And so, um, and then you're like, oh, and then I just, and then I have a baby, right? But it's like a mother is born that day too. And we uh, need to mother that mother. And so creating a plan now when you're pregnant um, for getting the support that you need to heal physically and to recover, I think is super important. Um, there's a great resource. I'm just going to, I'm just going to hype up other people's brilliance here. Okay. All right. So there's a great resource online called the postpartum eco map. It's by, I'm going to butcher her last name, Ariana Taboada. But if you look up postpartum eco map, it comes right up. Um, and it's like how to create a plan for like who we want in our circle, who we don't want, you know, aunt Tilly really wants to help and be involved, but like, I don't really need aunt Tilly in the hospital, but maybe aunt Tilly can like make some meals and stock my freezer, right? The three days that we're in the hospital and then I come home and I don't have to worry about cooking. So like this, that it's a great resource for that kind of stuff. Um, the, it, the postpartum pact is also something you can look up Google. Um, that's a Karen Kleiman resource. Can you tell I love Karen Kleiman? She's fabulous. Uh, Karen Kleiman resource, but especially for people who've had postpartum distress, that's a great thing to like sit down with your partner and be like, these are the things we're going to be on the lookout for. This is how I'm going to get support. This is how I'm going to uh, counteract some of that, that struggle that we maybe had the, the previous uh pregnancy or um, postpartum period. But I think that's really important is to have a plan now for how you can uh, build your tribe around that postpartum period. And that can also include, that tribe can include a postpartum doula or nanny, lactation consultants, having a friend create a meal train for you, supportive friends and family only, um, chiropractors, physical therapists, housekeepers. And these are things that like, why didn't we think about this before? You could register your, on your baby registry to have like a postpartum doula. How fabulous. I don't need a wipe. You don't need a wipes warmer, Jessica. You don't. Okay. okay. <laughs> All right. But you don't, but, but having somebody come into your house for a couple of hours, you know, to like take care of little household tasks or, or let you sleep. Right. Like that, that, that can, is invaluable. So yes. So there are lots of different, even just to have a list of those who I would call if I needed a sleep specialist at the ready. So in that midst of that, you don't have to go find that information. These are good. Um, that's what I usually tell my moms is like, let's have a plan um, for how you're going to, how we're going to take care of you after baby comes. 
I love that so much. And obviously like I'm taking all these mental notes and I'm like, oh, that's great. But yeah, no, on baby registries, you can register, like I can't on um, babylist.com. Um, there's like a whole section. I can't even remember what it's called, but it's for things like a doula or like a meal train and stuff. Like it's like the awesome. family section that you can like basically say like, I need this. And obviously my baby's due in uh, January. So who knows? I'm assuming we're still going to be in a pandemic um, <laughs> or there's going to be restrictions. So yeah. only you're allowed one care partner in the hospital. So like, I've already been trying to think about like, what are different ways people can help? And I know my brother-in-law already said like, regardless of if there's a pandemic, he's probably not going to come to the hospital, but he wants to come to our house and like clean and make sure everything's like prepared. Yes. Um, and like what, how can people be involved in different ways? Like I'm sure my parents will be coming down and, you know, okay, can we do meals or things like that? Or like laundry. Yes. Um, so yeah. I love a lot of your suggestions yeah. as well. Yeah. And for people dropping off meals, I, I've heard of this before, and I was like, this is genius. Throw a cooler on your front porch and say, if you're dropping off a meal, just throw it, like, throw it in the cooler. And that way you don't have to interact. Like, you don't have to entertain, right, the person who wants to come and drop off a, a casserole for you, right? You don't have to entertain them. They can literally just drop it off and, and leave, and you don't have to feel like you have to entertain them, you know, so. I like that. A lot. Mm -hmm. Well, and I mean, and I, I semi joked about this with you, but semi was serious about like the benefits of a pandemic. Like it does limit the amount of people that you can. Right. 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 See, the boundaries. Like, right. Yes. You don't have to set the boundaries. The pandemic did it for you. Exactly. Mm -hmm. yeah. But I mean, that's a good thing. Like, Hey, we want to help, but mm, I really don't feel comfortable with the pandemic going on with you seeing my baby. So just drop it off at the front, drop it off at the front. But I, but I gotta tell you, and I'm seeing this a lot on my social media, um, are the people who are like, my in-laws don't care. Yeah. Right. They want to see their grandchild. So, right. So knowing what you want, creating a plan with it and a plan around it with your partner and communicating it to the other people in your world, the earlier, the better. Yeah. Boundary setting, which can be a whole nother. <laughs> Again, all right. Part of the series. It's another part one. of the That'll series be, that we're going to do. Episode eight. Okay. <laughs> Um, okay. So with like, I love the idea of like making a plan, having that, like, cause we talk about birth plan, but we don't really talk about a postpartum plan. Um, then the other thing I think of like with moms and well, everybody in general, but yes. moms is it self-care and yeah. like you're bringing a new baby into the world. Suddenly, you know, your, your world is the baby. Um, mom's not being a mom, but from what I've heard from every single mom I've ever interacted with, like it's hard to find time for yourself. Um, and I'm assuming it's hard to find time for yourself even more so if then on top of it, you're experiencing anxiety, depression, all those types of things. So like, do you mind sharing or do you have any like self-care tips in the context of the pregnancy and postpartum navigating motherhood um, that may be helpful for listeners? Yeah. So one of the, I, I start every client out, um, new client that I, that I meet with, I assess their self-care and I want to very, be very clear that what I think of as self-care is different than kind of what's out there. Um, kind of in the mainstream of like, you know, take a bubble bath, like, which is lovely and nice. And I'm not going to tell anybody not to, but I'm talking about, are you eating? That's literally a question I ask because there are moms who are like, um, I usually eat dinner and that's it. Right. 
because they just kind of get wrapped up in taking care of their kid and their new baby and they're not right. So it's like, no, you got to eat because you need to feel your body. Your body's still um, healing. Those sugar crashes are going to affect your moods. So we need to be fueling our body, nutrient dense foods. And this is another thing. We're just going to have coolers in every corner of the house. Right. So when you're breastfeeding, if you're breastfeeding or even bottle feeding your baby, like you get all settled in and then you're like, I'm starving. And I didn't even think about it. Like have some snacks in a cooler, like right next to the chair that you, that you nurse in so that you don't have to like get up to go get something. Um, but yeah, so making, so like sleep is huge and everybody says, Oh, you know, you'll never sleep, whatever. Like, yeah, there's some of that, but like there are ways that you're, you can think outside the box to get your sleep. Um, if it means you go to bed at 8 PM, which you haven't seen since you were six years old, like as a bedtime, like then you go to bed at 8 PM because baby sleeps from eight to midnight. And then you can get a four hour stretch, which is amazing. And will make you feel like a new person right? Then after that, you might be up every hour and a half, right? With baby. But if you, that four hour stretch can really make a difference. Um, so sleep, nutrition, including looking at caffeine consumption, um, exercise once cleared by your doctor, but you can walk. Um, like the verdict is in exercise is good for you guys. Sorry. And I'm going to prescribe it every time. Um, it's not the cure-all, uh, but yeah. Um, and your medical care. So those are the first four things that I start with, with folks. Um, let's go get your blood work looked at. Let's go look at your vitamin levels. Let's go look at um, your thyroid. What's going on there? Because things can show up as anxiety, depression, that's actual, actually a severe thyroid imbalance. So, so that's something that I, I encourage folks to look at. Um, and then on, the, so those are the basic foundations of self-care. And then from there, we've expand to include like socialization, social supports and um, hobbies or interests or something that's just for you. So if that's like, I'm going to go watch a Real Housewives episode, right? But it, like just a little something that's just for you that you can like be left alone for, for 15 minutes a day. And, and really have it just be about you and taking care of you. And then um, I also, my two cents on this is having some sort of what I call a spiritual understanding. So it doesn't have to be like organized religion or faith, but even just like kind of an understanding of something larger than us, like nature, you know? So having some sort of connection with, with that, I think is also incredibly valuable. So, but those I call like honorable mentions once we get sleep, exercise, nutrition, and medical care under control. Awesome. Awesome. And again, that could be a whole nother episode. Yeah. No, you're just going to have to start your own podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Um, No, this has been so helpful. And I mean, I'm biased because I'm taking all this information in for myself, but I know it's super helpful for any mom or potential mom, pregnant mom or person, I shouldn't just say moms, person listening that, you know, plans on having kids, has kids, things like that. So um, I'm going to ask this with, I know the answer is we could talk for five more hours, but like, is there anything else like I haven't asked about related to what we've already been talking about that you really want to touch on or highlight? Um, I don't think so. I had a little cheat sheet of notes and I think I covered everything that I had 
highlighted here. So I think we did good. We did. And now we have, you know, a whole nother, uh, what, eight episodes to <laughs> record. So um, no, this, this has been great. And personally, it's been great, but also I just um, have learned so much from you um, in the time we've been talking. So you've already given us a lot of great resources, but if people want to connect with you specifically, whether it's connecting on social media or if they are in um, the Syracuse, New York area and potentially want to connect with you in um, a therapeutic way, where can people do so? Yeah, so the name of my practice is uh, cnytherapysolutions.com. Um, well, that's my website. cnytherapysolutions.com is the website for my practice. Um, and I can be found on both Facebook and Instagram at cnytherapysolutions as well. Um, and at Mama Therapy on TikTok. That's where I have the most fun. And that's, those are the places people can find me. And I will link all of that in the show notes as well. But no, I mean, like I said, at the beginning of this episode, we connected on um, TikTok and I love watching Stephanie's videos, especially now since like there, there's clinical value and just knowledge and expansion, but also just like personal value from them. So this has been great. Thank you so much for taking time out of your Saturday morning to record with me and chatting and everything. Um, I know this episode is going to be valuable to so many people. So I really appreciate your insights. My pleasure. My pleasure. Well, thank you everybody for joining for today's episode and I will see you in the next one. Bye. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Psych Talk. I hope you found so much value. If you loved what you heard or gained some knowledge, I would love for you to take a screenshot, put it on your Instagram stories, and tag me at Jessica Lee PhD. Additionally, I would be honored if you leave a review and five-star rating so I can continue to help this podcast grow. If you are not already, follow me on Instagram and join my Facebook community, Grow Through What You Go Through. Thank you for joining me today, and I cannot wait for you to join me during the next episode. Remember, you are loved, you are worthy, and you are braver than you know.